0: Big blue, not sexy. Okay, I've got that marked out. <laughs> well, they're not. And they'll be the first ones to admit that. I mean, they're like, hey, man, we don't really care about winning pretty. We just want to win. Like, And I, I respect the heck out of them for it. Hello and welcome to Friday edition of Always College Football. Today is September 9th. We hope you're enjoying the show. Wherever you're getting the show, I feel better today. Thank you for your well wishes. The Voice was struggling yesterday, just struggling literally the last couple days. So I feel better. I'm back. Thanks for your well wishes. We are prepared to deliver on a Friday edition of Always College Football. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, is Mark Kubiak. What a game plan we have in store for you today. We're going to do Gimme Five, but we're going to do it twice. One. First time around, some of the biggest games of the weekend. We'll break those down like we always do. And then as an additional Gimme 5. We're going to dive into some of the more under-the-radar games. And just spoiler alert, the Gimme 5 of the -the under-the-radar games is not 5. We gave you 6 because we're giving you a bonus. All right? So a lot to look forward to. Let's break down the games. Let's get to it. Football wall-to-wall here on Always College Football. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Gimme 5. Alright, give me five. Probably my favorite segment of the week, if I'm going to be completely honest with you. Why? Because we get into five incredible matchups that we're going to have this weekend. And I like to rank them. Why not? Some people like to disagree. Anytime you can rank anything, it's always good. You just look at the comments. All right, Everyone freaking out about Wednesday's show. And we said, oh, well, this team should be ranked. It. Rankings are good. All right, Rankings are good. The fifth most intriguing game this weekend in the college football circuit is Stanford. And USC. USC traveling to the farm, actually. That game will be 7.30 Eastern time on ABC. Ironically enough, everyone's talking about SC, things being different there. Well, good news is because if you're SC, you don't like playing Stanford. Struggled. Last couple matchups, you draw two straight. You've lost four of the five in your trips to Palo Alto. However, if you really look at it. I mean, Stanford's been one of the most dominant teams over SC in the last two decades. If you want to stretch it out a, way, a ways, Notre Dame against a ranked Stanford team. Or excuse me, Notre Dame against a ranked USC team is one and nine. Stanford's actually the only team with the winning record against a ranked USC team. So that's in the last two decades. So take it what you will. Different SC team, though, right? Everyone's looking at Caleb Williams. Everyone's looking at Lincoln Riley. And if you look at what Caleb Williams did last week, he was phenomenal 19 and 22, 249, couple touchdowns, uh, completed 86% of his passes. I'd say that's pretty good, right? Highest completion percentage of any USC player since Matt Barkley in 2012. It's been a while since we've seen a performance like that. Matt Barkley that day, by the way, 19 of 20 uh, against Colorado. So <laughs> a pretty good performance, of course. One element that you need to watch here when it comes to USC's offense, Caleb Williams, over the last couple of years, he's been one of the best in college football and being able to extend plays. He holds the ball longer than just about anybody in the country. Average throw time of 3.4 seconds before... Releasing the ball. That's the longest of any FBS quarterback in the last two seasons. So, something to keep in mind there. Stanford has kind of adjusted their defensive front. They've tried to make things a little bit different. So, if Caleb Williams holds the football, can Stanford get home? Big thing, I think, to watch. I thought SC's offensive line looked pretty good last week. Let's go to Stanford. Uh, one of the best teams in the FBS in the first six seasons under David Shaw. However, they've really struggled in the last two years. We all know that their defense has been a massive problem. They ranked last in scoring defenses among the Pac-12 teams, allowing over 32 points per game last year. They struggled forced turnovers as well. They had only nine turnovers forced. You heard that right. Only nine turnovers forced in 2021. That was 124th in the FBS. Stanford, nine turnovers forced. Have to be better, of course, if you're going to play against an SC team with legitimate firepower. The good news is offensively, I think they have some weapons. EJ Smith is the real deal. He is Emmett Smith's son. And he took 187 yards to the house on his first offensive play from scrimmage last week. He appears to be the real deal. If you look at what they have at quarterback, I think that obviously McKee is pretty dang talented. Everyone thinks, seems to think he's an NFL quarterback. However, I just want to see him be a little bit more precise. It was good last week. It was great performance in week one. he has got to be more precise against quality competition. Big game. About an 8-point spread, ironically enough. Opened at 10.5 all the way down to 8. I like SC in this game. I think SC is further along than I even originally thought coming into it. Their offensive line looked better. Their defense looked pretty good. I thought they got the ball moved on them a little bit too much against Rice. So they want them to be better against Stanford. I think they will be. Give me SC. Feel really good about the Trojans in this spot. All right, Baylor on the road traveling to BYU. If you look at Baylor, they were 5-1 and against AP-ranked teams last season. It's pretty dang good. If you look at what BYU had in the opener, they ran the ball with tremendous, tremendous efficiency. 312 yards rushing on 37 attempts. That's the best and the highest mark in a single game since averaging nearly nine yards per carry against Nevada back in 2013. It's their highest yards per rush under Kalani Satake. He got there in 2016. So it was very, very impressive what they did last week on the ground. But if you look at what Baylor is, Baylor's probably one of the best teams in America against the run. They were second last year among big 12 teams in allowing just 116 rushing yards per game and only 3.3 yards per carry. They also rarely ever allow teams to eclipse the 100-yard mark. It happened only seven times uh, last year. So if you look, they look at this is a team that sells out against the run. And you know this defense is going to travel. What I think is the game within the game here is Jeff Grimes. Probably thinking, who is Jeff Grimes? Jeff Grimes is the offensive coordinator of Baylor, formerly the offensive coordinator of BYU. They have kind of similar offensive styles. They want to get downhill. They want to lean on the outside zone. The offenses are very simple if you look at them from a 3,000-foot perspective. But as you get down to it, they're difficult on the competition because they don't do a whole lot, but what they do – they do it really, really well. If you look at what Baylor is defensively, they're very solid. You look at what Baylor is offensively. Blake Shapin was deadly accurate last week. He looked tremendous. I think that performance can continue over and over and over and over again. Their chances, I think, on offense are really, really impressive. Let's talk about BYU just for a hot second. They didn't need much against South Florida last week. Got out to a 28 nothing lead. They were dominating. Dominating in the first quarter of that football game. If that's what we get over and over and over again, it will be very tough, I think, to keep up with BYU this year. How is it going to go? Right now, BYU a slight favorite. I lean in that direction as well. I love Baylor this year, but two teams that are built very similarly. Give me the home field. Give me the altitude. I think it's going to be rocking there in Provo. As they welcome in a top 10 Baylor team. BYU gets plenty of opportunities to play against quality competition, to have one in their backyard. I've been up there before. I've seen a ranked USC team go down in that house. I think it'll be very tough for Baylor to match the intensity of BYU. And if they do, it would tell me an awful lot about what the Bears are going to do this year. If Baylor or if uh, BYU wins, where do you put them? Like, where would you rank B- uh, BYU? Depends on how they win. If they go out and they wipe the floor, with Baylor, and they take them to the cleaners early, then we're talking about a team that's probably in the top twelve. The only thing that might hurt them is the fact that the game's being played at 10:15 Eastern on ESPN. How many people will see it? How many people react to it? Uh, I'm hopeful. You know, if you're doing your job as an AP voter, you'll have a strong reaction to it if they go out and they dominate. But either way, I think Baylor and BYU. The amount of similarities between these two programs is unique, very physical brand of football, very simple offense, but an aggressive offense. But I look at the two quarterbacks, too. I mean, Jaron Hall against Blake Shape and two guys that can flat out play. So I, I really like both these teams. I just lean in favor of the home team here in Provo. I think BYU gets it done with a late field goal to potentially put it on ice. All right, let's go next to Kentucky. They travel to Florida. It's my third favorite game of the weekend. Even though I'm on the call, it's my favorite game personally, but I got to be honest, when I evaluate the slate, there's a couple that I find just the tiniest bit more intriguing. Kentucky going to Florida at 7 o'clock Eastern time on ESPN. How will Kentucky get it done? Kentucky is a team that loves to grind it out. They love to really establish the line of scrimmage with their offensive line. They love to stop the run defensively. That's traditionally who they are. Fortunately, you watched Kentucky last week. They became a little bit more of a pass-happy approach. They have really good wide receivers, and the offensive line didn't look quite as good. If you look at Florida, on the other hand, this was a team that often ran the ball the last few years under Dan Mullen, but they did so by smoke and mirrors. They did so by misdirection. They did so with counters. They did so with quarterback run game. That wasn't last week's approach. You looked at Utah's front seven, maybe the strength of their team, and they said, we're going right at them. That's exactly what they did. They got downhill. They established the line of scrimmage from the first play until the very last play. I thought the Florida Gators did a really good job along the offensive line. I thought the running backs ran extremely hard and ran extremely decisively by getting downhill. Anthony Richardson is phenomenal. We all know just how gifted he is as a thrower. We all know how gifted he is as a runner. Now, I'd like to see him make a few more routine plays, uh, but the highlight reel is always available when Anthony Richardson is on the field. Will Levis, conversely, on the other side for Kentucky. A lot of people think he's a first-round pick. Did have a few misses against Miami, Ohio. One in particular in the right flat. Actually almost got picked, take it to the house. Um, But he does make it look fairly easy when he's throwing the ball and threading the needle. He's an effortless thrower with a ton of velocity on his passes. So uh, I would say they didn't show a whole lot last week will be interesting, I think, to see what the new offensive coordinator, Rick Scangarello, for Kentucky, what does he do to try to make this Florida defense a little bit more uncomfortable? Their offensive line last week, Kentucky's, they struggled by their standard. Kentucky's offensive line did not look as good as they have in recent years. That team's been called the the big blue wall. I mean, we're talking about an offensive line that is constantly in the conversation for the Joe Moore Award that goes to the best offensive line unit in college football. Last week's performance was anything but what I've come to expect from the Kentucky offensive line. So can they be better up front? They're going to have to be against a quality defensive front featuring Brenton Cox off the edge, Gervon Dexter. They're off a defensive tackle or inside edge defensive end. These are pretty talented pieces. And then Ventrell Miller in the second level, he played really well last week against Utah. So quality defensive front for the Florida Gators, maybe a little bit gettable in the secondary. We'll see whether or not Kentucky's improved receiver core and the accuracy of Will Levis. We'll see whether or not that comes to the forefront, because if it does, it will be difficult for Florida to get off the field. I think this game has a chance to be pretty high scoring. Uh, but I also think it has a chance to come down to the very end. Both these teams match up really well. It should be an awesome atmosphere and an awesome game there in the Swamp on Saturday night. All right, hype meter for the winner. I mean, you're either going to have Florida, who's beaten two ranked teams, or Kentucky, who goes into the Swamp and wins. And the hype for both, which, I mean, how high can it go? The hype for Florida will be more significant. Um, and the build up around Florida, Tennessee which is a couple weeks from now would be off the charts good. I think Kentucky the problem with Kentucky is they're never going to wow you and they're never going to feel sexy. Like they're going to they're going to grind out wins and that oftentimes doesn't really move the needle because they're not flashy. I mean Kentucky is the farthest thing from flashy, but The sum is greater than each individual part. But if you really dive in, I just wonder sometimes, I wonder how many people really watch Kentucky. Because if you look at their weapons on the perimeter, they're really good. Now, a couple of young guys, but a talented transfer, Tavion Robinson from Virginia Tech, the guy's the real deal. I think some people kind of get lulled to sleep with how they try to run the football, how they try to establish the line of scrimmage but they still have perimeter weapons that can take the top off the defense. So uh, I think Kentucky probably will be, it'll be held against them a little bit more if they win. They win, they're going to be in the top 15 more than likely. That goes without saying. But I think if Florida wins, they could vault their way all the way up in the top 10, top nine, top eight. It's the strength of the brand and the fact that people will already be saying that Florida is back. So Fair or unfair, uh, Kentucky has to earn a little bit more goodwill. They shouldn't. They've earned enough with me. If they win this game, I know how difficult a win this will be. If they go and win this game in the swamp, that would do, do all I needed to see as far as replacing some of the pieces. I just want to see some of the areas where they were inefficient last week. Can they be better here in week number two? Big blue, not sexy. Okay, I've got that marked on. Number two game, what do you have? <laughs> well, they're not. And they'll be the first ones to admit that. I mean, they're like, hey, man, we don't really care about winning pretty. We just want to win. Like, and I, I respect the heck out of them for it because to me, ultimately, that's the job. Style points don't matter. Just give me the Ws. And if you look at their performance and their record in one-score games, Kentucky's been really impressive the last couple of years. The second best game of the weekend, Alabama at Texas. Probably not on paper. This game might not be competitive. We'll see. This game is noon Eastern time on Fox. We look forward to seeing exactly how it's going to go down. How will Alabama get it done? All right. Well, last week they played against a team that had 11 wins. All right. It was never competitive. Utah State, never competitive. All right. Bryce Young took off right where he left off. I mean, the guy was fine. I mean, accurate, decisive, used his legs, did a lot of really nice things. Thought that it was kind of a ho-hum performance offensively as far as spreading it out. I mean, obviously, score 55 is great. But as far as spreading it out, I I don't feel like I know anything more about Alabama today than I knew coming into the season. thought the offensive line looked pretty good. thought the receivers looked pretty good. thought the running game looked pretty good. I mean, Alabama kind of did everything they wanted to do in the game. So it was one of those where it's like, all right, well, good performance. On to the next. Similar for Texas. I don't feel like I came away from Texas after watching the first game. I don't feel like I came away from it saying, all right, well, this is a different team. They're different than last year. Look at them. Um, I think that they looked pretty solid. I mean, I think Quinn Ewers made a mistake or two, but it's to be expected in his first career start. Uh, I also think that Xavier Worthy is one of the best receivers in college football, but like, none of these things were in question coming into week one of the college football season. I think the skill for Texas has been really good. I think the skill has a chance to be really good again this year. Uh, I think the defense for Texas in particular, will be tested in this game like they haven't been tested yet, naturally. Uh, And I'm not sure that this is a defense that's going to be able to get off the field on a regular basis. I think they're going to have to rely on a mistake or two from Alabama, and they're going to have to capitalize on offensively if Alabama gives them the short field. I think the biggest thing for Texas is they have to secure momentum early in the game. They have to. I think they have to also create big plays offensively. We know about Alabama's defense, okay? But the biggest question on Alabama's defense is at corner. We know about Alabama's pass rush, all right? We know that pass rush is going to get home. How does Steve Sarkeesian, how does he create enough indecisiveness for Will Anderson and for Dallas Turner, Turner and for Chris Braswell How do you create enough indecisiveness with them to be able to drop Quinn Ewers back, allow him to hold the ball for four or more seconds so that those wide receivers can have enough time to get open down the field? That's the biggest question mark to me, is if you can protect Quinn Ewers, I think your receivers, which is a really talented group, have a chance to win in one-on-one matchups. But that's the big if. Can you hold up in protection? I'm also really curious to see what Steve Sarkeesian does from a standpoint of making sure that protections sound. How many seven-man protections are there? What does he do on the edges? Does he keep tight ends in? Does he collision running backs with defensive ends as they're coming out? Does he collision tight ends with defensive ends as they're coming out? Do they do some toss cracks where they motion the guy down and crack Will Anderson only to pitch it to the outside and get Bijan John Robinson around the edge in a pin and pull technique. What does he do? Because you know he's been working on this game plan for the last 18 months. And he might not have the horses to pull it off. He might not. But he might be able to provide the blueprint to college football on how you should scheme up Alabama. So fascinating game of cat and mouse this week. When it comes to Nick Saban, one of the all-time great defensive minds against Steve Sarkeesian, currently one of the most creative play callers in all of college football. I think Alabama wins the game convincingly because I just don't think Quinn Ewers and that Texas offensive line can hold up against this tenacious Alabama pass rush. A high of 94 degrees in Austin on Saturday afternoon. Mack, my question for you, give me a percentage of fans left in the stands at the start of the fourth quarter. <laughs> um, I think they'll keep it close. I mean, I, I really do. I think they'll keep it close and I think it'll be competitive. Um, put it this way on a scale of Notre Dame to Oregon, as far as good performance of Notre Dame, bad performance for Oregon, on a scale of one to the other, I think the, the performance might resemble Notre Dame's more than it resembles Oregon's. I do think there will be some opportunities created by Texas offensively. Uh, I just don't know if they're going to have enough on the defensive side to be able to slow down Bryce Young. So I expect Bama to get theirs from a point scored standpoint. But I also think too, Quinn Ewers and this Texas offense, they have enough weapons. I mean, Bijan Robinson is a top back in college football, a top not the top a top. Uh, I would have him kind of in the top three alongside a couple others. So, Will they be able to do it throughout the course of a four-quarter game? I don't think so. But I will be surprised if they can't manufacture some points in some way or another by getting an aggressive Alabama team to bite on something and maybe throw it over their head. So uh, it'll be a creative plan. I feel pretty good about that. and I can't wait to see it unfold there there at Austin at noon Eastern time on Fox. All right. Game number one of the weekend for me. I think it's a fascinating game. Uh, the Johnny majors classic as they've coined it, Tennessee heading to Pittsburgh. This will be three 30 Eastern time on ABC. If you look at Pitt, a lot of people are going to react strongly to the performance last Thursday. Uh, a lot of people say, well, there's going to be a hangover. Of course, Tennessee took care of business early. Uh, I think it was ball state that they played, whoever it was. I mean, it was sideways early. In that game, I think they scored about 40 seconds into the game. All right, when you look at Tennessee and you look at Pitt, Pitt last week didn't run the ball with a great efficiency. I'm not sure they're going to be able to run the ball with a great efficiency against Tennessee. Tennessee has their fair share of issues, but that's more about rushing the passer. As far as how they hold up in the run game, it'll be interesting to see how they do. Keaton Slovis, I thought, looked pretty good. Threw for over 300 yards, and I think there were a couple near misses that probably not going to be misses as we get further along in the season. That was some week one rust, and they didn't miss by much on a couple of deep shots. You know that Pitt also is going to rush the passer with unbelievable tenacity. You look at their defensive front, what can they do to apply pressure to Hendon Hooker? Can they do proper job substituting to kind of neutralize the tempo that Tennessee's going to throw out there as well? Of course, when you're playing against Tennessee, it's hard to pin your ears back for four quarters. It's because of how many plays they're likely to run. But either way, can this defense get home against Hendon Hooker? When you look at Tennessee, pretty dang impressive how this offense has kind of been put together. It's almost a slam dunk. They're going to get to 35 It's almost a slam dunk they're going to get to 500, 400, 450 yards of offense. It almost feels like an an inevitability that they're going to get there almost every week. The problem is, what can they do defensively to get after the opposing offense? Because last week, they did not record a sack. Not one. It's the first time an SEC team didn't record a sack against a mid-American conference opponent since 2016. Now, granted, there's not a lot of those games on tape, but either way, Tennessee, big question mark coming into the season is how do they create pressure? Well, if there's one thing I saw last week from West Virginia is that they were pinning their ears back and they were coming after the quarterback and Keaton Slovis took a lot of hits. As a result, it might have affected him a little bit. Will he be affected by Tennessee? You have to hope. And the other thing too, in a game of what should be ups and downs, it'll be really interesting. Interesting stat that I came across in this game, Pitt, one of the best teams in the country when playing against SEC competition. They are 7-1-2. and two. That's right. Seven wins, one loss, two ties against members of the SEC. The only loss that they experienced was back in the 2013 BBVA Compass Bowl that was against Ole Miss. So it'll be the first time, too, that an SEC team is traveling to Pit in their history. So an interesting matchup this weekend. I lean Tennessee, but I lean Tennessee close. I think Pitt's going to do enough to disrupt the rhythm of the Tennessee passing game with their pass rush. But I think ultimately Tennessee's weapons on the perimeter are going to be too much for Pitt. And in isolations on the outside, which is what really is what Tennessee wants to create and what Pitt oftentimes creates because of how much respect Pitt safeties will play in the backfield with their run support. They're going to leave their corners on islands occasionally, and that's not a matchup I like for Pitt. I think Tennessee can win those matchups, and that's why I think they win the game, but I think they win the game close in what should be a high-scoring affair. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
1: Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up hypnotic and cognac weighing heavy on the team.
0: All right. Give me five continues. All right. But these five or six, I might give you a bonus in there. These five are five games that are not going to be talked about enough, but they're highly competitive and they're highly compelling. Let's start with Boston College at Virginia Tech. Boston College and Virginia Tech, I might add, didn't start the way they wanted to start. All right. Boston College had a bunch of mistakes and ultimately led to a big loss. Virginia Tech, meanwhile, not to be outdone. Uh, I'm not sure anyone could have made more mistakes than them. If you think of five turnovers, 14 penalties, fourth quarter collapse, this is kind of a tricky game. It's going to be important for either one of these two teams to get back. I mean, considering what we've seen from these two teams, uh, it's going to be tough, I think, for either one to get within striking distance of a bowl game. At the very least, both have significant hurdles to climb and route to that six-win plateau. And I happen to think that there's a lot more positives right now surrounding Boston College. As much as that might sound crazy, it feels like Boston College has the quarterback and at least have some talented playmakers on the perimeter to be able to create some opportunities against Virginia Tech secondary. Meanwhile, Grant Wells for Virginia Tech thought he made some mistakes. And I think those mistakes will continue. If you go back to his time at Marshall, the guy's got a big arm, but he is not afraid to throw it into coverage. All right. It'd be interesting. I think Boston College has just enough to be able to get over the hump and go on the road and potentially pull off another big win. Let's go next to Virginia and Illinois. Virginia, the first game of the Tony Elliott era, looked pretty good. It took a commanding lead at halftime. It kind of cruised in the second half, but. It really, almost all came from the running game. Now it's funny because I'm coming into the season. I'm thinking more about Brennan Armstrong, thinking more about the weapons on the perimeter. Well, that wasn't necessarily the cast case. Even Brennan Armstrong contributed on the ground. The guy went for 105 rushing yards. So if you look at that, I think the balance was really impressive. And a big thing with what Virginia did is they stayed on the field on third down. They extended drives. They went seven to twelve on third down. And they had the ball for nearly 33 minutes. So a ball control style of approach from Virginia more so than they were really at any point last season. If you look at Illinois, they've looked pretty dang good in the first two games. Feels like they should have won that game last week. But either way, the defense has been really good against the run. What do we just tell you that Virginia tried to do in the first game of the season? They tried to run the football. Can Illinois continue to play good in the front seven defensively against the run? Because if there's one other thing that Illinois has been victim of is getting the ball thrown over their head. I mean, Basilac hit one over their head last week. They're going to trigger. They're going to come up and run support. So they are potentially victim to heavy play action down the field passing attack. I think this game has a chance to be high scoring. People will say, no way. How do you see that? Because of turnovers. <laughs> if you look at turnovers, Illinois gave away the ball four times against Indiana. And there were several times in which they had the short field. And I think if you look at Virginia, I think the passing game will open up. I trust the quarterback at Virginia just a little bit more, but I like the team of Illinois just a little bit more. Give me Illinois to take care of business at home and get to two and one. One of my favorite games of the weekend, but probably a little bit under the radar. It's Oregon State traveling to Fresno State. If you look at Oregon State last week, twenty-four nothing at halftime against a quality Boise team, and they went and cruise control. I thought Chance Nolan threw the ball extremely well. I thought the running game was pretty dang good, and the defense at times looked terrific. Now the line, the defensive line, really pushed the pocket, and really the secondary coverage was tight on the outside. Now you get a chance to go play against a team that scored thirty-five against Cal Poly. Is Cal Poly any good? Probably not, but (laughs) worth noting that Fresno State in the first game back in the Jeff Tedford era did a great job. I mean, we knew Kalen DeBoer was a great offensive mind. Tedford's back at Fresno State, not concerned with what I saw from them. Jake Hayner, I think, is one of the best quarterbacks in college football through for nearly 400 and a couple touchdowns. But Don't forget about Jordan Mims in the run game. They were very, very solid. So I think if you're going to try to find issues with Fresno State, you're kind of nitpicking a little bit. So I look at this and I think Hayner and the veteran presence that is Fresno will give Oregon State all they want. All they want. All right? But again, I'm trying to get a sense for whether or not Fresno State was the real deal, or excuse me, whether or not Boise State was the real deal. I don't think they were. And I think some of the positivity that I've garnered about Fresno or about Oregon State said that like three times now. I've got Fresno on the mind, obviously. You probably tell where I'm going with this pick. Everything I've seen from Oregon State makes me feel really good about Oregon State, but I have to go back and dive a little bit deeper. And I look at, at Boise, and Boise's got all kinds of issues. So I'm going to actually lean in favor of the home field. I like Fresno, actually, in this game. When going with quarterbacks, I trust Jake Hayner more than I do Chance Nolan. I think Chance Nolan might throw one or two to Fresno. And as a result, the Bulldogs get it done at home. Let's go next to the CyHawk battle. I think that's what it's called. It's Iowa and Iowa State. This one's going to be played in Iowa City. A lot of people are going to look at Iowa's performance last week. They're going to say, well, you know, seven points. Seven points. How many from the offense? Three. All right, well, fine. I get that. It was not pretty. It's actually everything. But. but when you look at where Iowa is as far as what they return, where Iowa State is, and what they return, there's a lot more known commodities on this Iowa football team. I also understand that the passing game, really not great for the team wearing gold and black. All right, not great at all. A little bit one dimensional, but a win is a win. Okay. You look at the run game is a little bit more about where I'm concerned. I think they actually did an okay job running the football 72 yards. wasn't great, but there weren't any big bursts. They kind of churned it out and you got to give credit to South Dakota state. They hung in there pretty dang well on the other side. The defense was off the charts. Good. All right. I know if there's one thing I know in this matchup, you take Iowa offense, Iowa defense, Iowa state offense, Iowa state defense. I know Iowa's defense is going to show up. They're the best unit in the game. All right. They allowed 120 yards last week. I know it's against South Dakota State, but either way, that's pretty good. Now, I don't think this is going to be a high-scoring affair by any stretch of the imagination. Having just 173 yards on the day offensive before Iowa last week left an awful lot to be desired. But either way, a win's a win. And if you look at how this series has gone in recent years, Iowa's a better matchup. They've been a better team. They've been more physical. And I've seen better Iowa State teams struggle with worse Iowa teams, potentially. Give me Iowa in this game. I think they actually take care of business. I think it's going to be one heck of a matchup. I think it's going to be a war. That's for sure. If there's a physical game, if physical brand of football is your style, that's the one to watch. Uh, Let's keep it in the Midwest for just a hot second. Missouri traveling to Kansas State. I think the weapons that Missouri has right now surrounding Brady Cook is intriguing. We know Luther Burden, even though he was relatively quiet last week, didn't have a huge productive stat line. But either way, the offense got going after a little bit of a slow start, and they found a lot of opportunities. I think the run game isn't going to skip as much of a beat as I originally thought. Tyler Beatty, I thought, would be enormous shoes to fill. I think they can be filled, even though it won't be easy. And you think about also, if there's one thing that I was very impressed with, is that when you look at Missouri's defense, it's a much maligned group. We know they've had their struggles. They gave up just 11 rushing yards. They also had some sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. There are some things that I felt pretty good about. Containing Adrian Martinez, this guy I think that you know has been prone to make a mistake or two every once in a while, is something that you need to keep it into in mind. Now, I know that this really wasn't that competitive a game last week for Kansas State against South Dakota. The Deuce Vaughn looked as good as advertised. The guy's always amazing, 126 yards and a score. And the offense really didn't do a whole lot. They didn't have to do a whole lot. So I just love the idea of an old school Big 12 matchup here. It's a big moment, I think, for both teams. It might be a tipping point for both teams. Winner's going to get a huge boost. Loser's going to come back saying, man, what the heck has gone on? I think it'd be really important for Eli Drinkwitz to get this done. They're 12-12 and 12 right now. And I think knowing just how difficult the gauntlet's likely to be when he gets into SEC play, this feels like one that Missouri absolutely has to have. Missouri has a few more options. They have a few more weapons, but I'm actually going to go with Kansas State. I think it's a difficult place to play. I think Kleiman will have a good defensive plan. I think they'll be able to cover down and do a good job of getting after the quarterback. They're going to play insanely hard, and they'll hold up better against the run than Louisiana Tech was able to do. Just last week. So I actually lean just ever so slightly in favor of the home team. Give me Kansas State, Houston and Texas Tech. Interesting game here. We know Houston went to overtime last week. There were a lot of mistakes last week from Houston. If I'm Dana Holgerson, uh, I'm flipping some coffee tables and I'm, you know, breaking some windows. Back at the facility. Way too many mistakes. The offense couldn't really get going. They had 11 penalties. It's just a struggle. But they dominated time possession. They clamped down when they absolutely had to. And I think they did a pretty good job. Kind of containing Frank Harris. With the exception of a player two here and there. But now you're getting a team that is going to be starting a backup quarterback. Even though the backup quarterback was pretty dang good last week. Donovan Smith will get the start. He looked really steady. Last week, albeit against lower-level competition, either way, winning the way they won is impressive. 337 yards off the bench, not bad. Uh, So we'll see whether or not Houston's defense has as many question marks and see whether or not Houston's defense is able to do a little bit better job in the passing game than they were able to do last week. Because Harris, even though he didn't get running around very often, he did kind of torch them a little bit through the air. Can Joey McGuire get things off on the right start? And Zach Kitley, the offensive coordinator, what kind of scheme does he put together to try to make life difficult for the backup quarterback who was in a really hotly quarterback contested battle? So either way, we'll see exactly how it goes. I lean just ever so slightly in favor of Texas Tech here. Coming into the season, I kind of liked Houston, but after last week's performance, I think Houston has a few too many holes on defense. And I think Zach Kitley, the offensive coordinator, will be able to take advantage of those holes. Told you there was going to be a bonus. I just gave you five. I'm going to give you one more, and why not? South Carolina traveling to Arkansas to play against a very impressive-looking Arkansas team last week. We know Cincinnati's a team that's really good against the run. Arkansas rushed for 225 and averaged over six yards a carry, especially on rushes outside the tackles. All right, If you look at Carolina, South Carolina, excuse me. UNC fans are going to lose their mind, but I'm sure South Carolina fans are loving. South Carolina last year averaged giving up five yards per carry outside the tackle tackle box. That's the sixth best in the SEC. So middle of the pack, if you will. When you look at South Carolina a little bit deeper, you're going to look at the final score. You're going to say 35-14 against Georgia State. Georgia State is pretty good. Uh, Should feel pretty good about that win. Well, I think there's actually quite a bit of room to grow. I thought Spencer Rattler was just okay. Made some amazing plays, but also made some plays It's like, ooh, you know, not not so great. Maybe trying a little bit too hard. Um, there were a bunch of misses in the game too, as far as his accuracy is concerned. Like I said, the highlight reel play will always be in there, but I'd like to see him make the ordinary play a little bit more often. I know really all last week for South Carolina really came down to their special teams. I mean, I'm not going to... I don't spend a ton of time on special teams, but it's now become a theme when watching South Carolina. They blocked a pair of punts last week, returning both four touchdowns. That's five blocked punts in two seasons under Shane Beamer. You heard that right. Beamer, right? Beamer ball like Virginia Tech back in the day. I'm not going to... It's his son, obviously, but... Five blocked punts since Shane Beamer took over there in Columbia, South Carolina. That's tied with Texas for the most in the FBS since the beginning of last season. So maybe the third phase will have a huge influence in this game. Here's what I'm trying to figure out was South Carolina, their opportunistic nature, especially in special teams. Will that translate to better competition? We know Arkansas is battle tested. I don't know if South Carolina is battle tested. I think it's going to come down to whether or not South Carolina can hold up at the line of scrimmage against this rushing attack for Arkansas. We know that they have multiple backs, several of which are very, very good. We know KJ Jefferson, very, very good, but I didn't think he played great last week. I thought he did a lot of nice things in the ground. I thought he missed a few too many throws and I thought the accuracy would be further along than I saw last week. So cautiously optimistic, but either way, I think KJ Jefferson is only going to get better from here. The biggest question mark I have in the game, I saw Jalen Catalan go down. I saw a couple of members of the secondary there for the Arkansas Razorbacks go down, and I thought the defense was not the same when those guys were not on the field. Ben Bryant missed a couple throws downfield. He's the quarterback of Cincinnati. I don't know if Spencer Rattler will miss those throws. If he doesn't, will it be a long day potentially for that Arkansas defensive secondary? It's certainly a possibility. So either way, it's going to be a heck of a matchup. I lean Arkansas, but I think it's going to be really, really close. I think the final score somewhere in the vicinity of like 35-28, somewhere around there. All right. Great, great week of games. Glad we were able to get to all those games, all those matchups. Hopefully we did a good job of hitting your game. We just did 35 minutes of just straight ripping on matchups and ripping on games, games that won't be talked about in a lot of other places. So we're glad that you're getting the content here with us on always college football Friday tradition, or at least we're starting one. Where do I need to go get a drink on Friday night when we get down there and we're ready to go and have a good time? Where do we need to get a drink? The swamp restaurant or the salty dog saloon? I'm going to Gainesville this week. Looking forward to checking out the game between Kentucky and Florida. Which place? Swamp restaurant, salty dog saloon. Let us know at alwaysCFB on Instagram or alwaysCFB on Twitter. Appreciate you being with us. It's been a great week. We so appreciate all the interaction that we've had. And like I told you, please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out. We're continuing to build this thing. We're starting to get a little momentum, starting to have some fun, starting to figure out what works. (laughs) We started from scratch. So it's not like any of us know exactly how this thing goes. Kubiak's from radio background. I'm from TV and radio, so never done a podcast before, but hey, it's been a heck of a good time, and we look forward to continuing to serve the audience. Like I said, like, rate, subscribe, tell your friends, let them know, hey, Always College Football is talking about every game, talking about every player with deep, in-depth breakdowns with as many, many different games as we can possibly fit in in a five-day period. So we appreciate so much the word of mouth that you're providing with uh, for us and and appreciate the interactions that we've had with you up to this point like i said like rate subscribe anywhere you get your podcast or you can just watch us on the youtube channel press that thumbs up button helps us out an awful lot for all of us here at always college football he's mark kubiak i'm greg mcelroy we hope you have an incredible day and an incredible weekend and remember it's always college football hey guys it's greg mcelroy thanks for watching always college football make sure you like Rate and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcast.